Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> How many choices do you make in a day? In a year? In a lifetime? How many really matter in the end? Do you agonize over the small ones and avoid the important ones? Here on my lift, in this place where all things are possible, your choice matters. Your choices require sacrifice. Will you make the right one? Choose to listen to the lift in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher and now iHeartRadio. Today my guest is Krista Carmen, and we just recently did your story. The one thing that I really enjoyed about this, I, we don't get to do a lot of epistolary tales, and um, a lot of times when we've done them in the past, they're in the form of letters. So this one was in the form of an email exchange. So tell me, for three cheers for Sweet Revenge, what gave you the idea to kind of go the, the route of, uh, of an email exchange rather than, you know, just a regular narrative? Yeah, so... It's actually kind of a, a goofy little like real life thing that sort of gave me, I, I have a friend that we started at my day job company together working in a pharmaceutical company and just in the pharmaceutical industry. And um, we worked for the same company for a while and then she left and went to a different company and I would still email her all the time. And of course, you know, she would email me back too, but once she's really got into the new job and she was doing a lot of training, there would be like whole days, whole weeks where I would just email her knowing that she wasn't gonna email me back. And I just thought it was kind of funny to have a story come out of a one-sided email narrative. Um, so like the whole Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge story, uh, there are emails from one other person at the end but all of the emails are to the same person yeah. and she doesn't ever respond. So I liked the idea of doing a story all kind of one-sided sent to the same person. I liked the idea too of that person maybe like being away from the computer for whatever reason for the length of time that the emails were coming in mm -hmm. and then getting them all at once and you don't have really any opportunity to intervene because it's already happened, but you're yeah. still getting the story piece by piece. Yeah, that's it's always very interesting whenever you have kind of the first person narrative because uh, you have one person's kind of viewpoint on everything. And uh, like you said, at the end, we do get the inspector uh, to kind of respond. And it was a lot of fun to work with Erica Sanderson on that because she she did a few things for me. Like um, 
you know, she she clarified, you know, well, we wouldn't say Kent Police Department. We would just say Kent Police. And, you know, obviously, of course, we get the authentic British accent there. And I thought that one was the important one to make sure that it came from from someone that, uh, you know, kind of was in that country. Yes, that's um, it's amazing. Um, Yeah, it's so funny. I, you know, it's like you you get kind of used to doing quick and dirty Internet research. Um, but it, it's never the same as when you have, so, you know, I've, I've never been to the UK. I've never been out of our own country thus far. Um, so to have a a little bit of insight into that, you know, small part of the story, but have it be so meaningful. That's great. I'm glad she was able to do it. Yeah. It's awesome. And you mentioned you haven't been out of the country and, and, uh, folks will usually, uh, we, at least this season, we've done the stories kind of. Uh, giving you an opportunity to listen to the story first and have it air and then do the interview. But we're doing the interview a little bit early because you are traveling out of the country. So that should be fun. Yes. Yes. Traveling out of the country for the first time. And I'm not going to lie. I'm totally hoping, you know, I don't want travel plans or anything to go awry, but I always love new experiences for, for good potential fodder for stories. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you'll find that it, if you get an opportunity to kind of sit down and relax, the uh, the environment will inspire you. Yes, I'm hoping so. Absolutely. So what made this a story that you wanted to tell? Because obviously, as writers, we work on lots of different things. We have lots of different ideas for stories. And, you know, sometimes you, you sit down, and start writing one and it doesn't work or it ends up going in a different direction. What made this one that you ended up spending the time to sit down and continue writing through? Yeah, so I um, I had the, the great opportunity to have been invited into an anthology to, to sort of have a, you know, it's a little bit different than if you want to just submit somewhere. You sort of have that space to kind of know that this story could, you know, it will potentially be read. I mean, it'll at least be read, mm-hmm. however many people read that particular anthology. Um, so I was sort of working within a space of knowing that I was going to have a place, a home for this story. And it, it just was, it, like a lot of times my stories come, the ideas for a story comes from a connection between an idea, a theme, wanting to tell a particular kind of story, and then an image. And I, I love when finally an image that I see is sort of, it clicks the pieces together with you know something else that I was thinking about. So I'd been kind of wanting to write a story about revenge in one way or another. I didn't really have much more than that. I just, I liked the idea of a revenge story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my husband and I are sort of, we're very like casual My Chemical Romance fans. Okay. Uh, and so um, we just like randomly were listening to a lot of My Chemical Romance at one point. And I was like, this is weird. We don't listen to them that often. And so I'm just kind of like this whenever I'm listening to something or reading a lot of a certain author. I'm a big Googler. So I'm like, if I'm, if I'm into something, I want to know all about it. So because I started listening to a little bit more My Chemical Romance, of course, I had to look them up on the internet and like learn more about them and, and see what they were all about. Mind you, like a little late, right? They're like not even <laughs> together anymore. <laughs> this was a, at least a couple years ago. So um, not not super recent, but still well, missed the boat uh, by quite a number of years. Yeah. Um, but I came across an article that there really was an, a very unfortunate uh, thing going on where there was like 
emo cults and emo death um, sort of like clubs and they were just really glamorizing the idea of death and My Chemical Romance got sort of wrapped up into that and, and blamed for a lot of that culture and you know of course it's we see that argument all the time in, in horror is to blame for violence or video games is to blame for violence and um, you know musicians, artists of any kind when they get wrapped up in that it's, it's just interesting to see how it plays out I don't think that artists like that are ever really to blame but they did get pulled in and there was a whole to do and I just you know so now I've got like the wanting to do a story about revenge I've got this whole my chemical romance like tragedy and news story that had occurred and then I just the last piece of the puzzle was a, a dear friend of mine gave me a very beautiful brooch and it was very beautiful and very creepy and I was just like well I think I have the last piece of the puzzle to sit down and, <laughs> and put this all together now that's awesome. Yes. So I do have the brooch that is very much the inspiration for the one in this story. That's really cool. Yeah, I always find it's it's interesting and, and fun to have kind of something that connects you physically. Because, you know, touch and holding something in your hands is a, is a very personal experience. And, and to have kind of that connection to a piece is is always fun. Yeah. And, and going right along with what you just said in a way having written this in email format for some reason it kind of does make it more tangible to me like even with it being on a podcast like there's something about the email format of it where i can just sort of very much picture each each email with its little subject heading as as kind of like a building block of the story as a whole so yeah yeah i agree so what was the biggest struggle that you had with this story? I'm always interested with the challenges because I think each story and each character comes with their own challenges and their own struggles. And every once in a while, you, you get a story that just kind of flows and, and, and comes out without any without any real, I don't want to say any real effort, but, you know, without any real true struggles. Uh, but more often than not, I find there's usually one or two things that make a story tricky. And then once you solve it, it it's, it's uh, very satisfying to actually get it finished yeah so i before the the other great thing about having written this in email format before this story i hated writing in the first person and i didn't really have a lot of confidence with it because i felt like every every first person story i tried to write I was just so convinced that it, the voice was just my own. Just yeah. because I was writing I, 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 me, 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 it, it seemed like it was, the character was an extension of me. And I think that was, you know, I've, I've been writing for about, I mean, I've been writing for a long time, but just writing stories with the intention of having other people read them only for about five years now. So I'm, I'm, I still consider myself like a little bit newer. Mm-hmm. And I think that was just a, a you know confidence thing and a practice kind of thing where when once I had written a, a lot of shitty I me first person <laughs> kinds of things where they probably truly were all extensions of me yeah. I finally got over that hump and and you know even though I said this kind of came from the idea of me writing to my good friend at work shooting her over emails when I started writing these emails it didn't feel like me and I was like yes I think I finally I think I can finally do this um, and then it must have flipped a switch because I think like 90% of what I've written since I wrote this story and I you know this story I think I finished it in March of 2018 
and I've written like predominantly first person stuff now. I'm actually in the middle of a novel right now that's first person. So the, the learning curve was was long but uh, acute. So now I'm I feel much more confident in my ability to write first person narratives that are each different. That's excellent. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things we get a lot of writers and aspiring writers that listen to the show. And, you know, a lot of those folks say that they really appreciate the interviews. And I think it's it's always it's always nice to be able to share some of that stuff with someone who is having their own struggles, whether it's the same thing or something similar. We all kind of go down that same path when we're writing. And the, the answer is always just keep at it and keep working through it, because eventually you get past it and after that, it gets a lot easier to to kind of walk down that pathway again. Yes, I completely agree. So what was it that came first for you with this story? Was it the, the story itself? Was it the characters? I know you mentioned that, you know, it, it was kind of inspired by uh, some real life experience. But whenever you actually started writing, I mean, did, did you find that the character was driving the story for you? Or was it the idea of the story and the brooch itself? Or... Yeah, I think it came from, um, I actually struggle, another thing that I've struggled with with writing is I really love to read thrillers and, and mysteries and suspense novels, uh, but I tried my hand at writing a suspense novel, like kind of like an Agatha Christie, where there's, you know, interconnecting plots and characters, and um, it's not really my strong point, and it wasn't really as enjoyable for me. And I think when I'm enjoying my writing is when the writing comes out the best. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've kind of moved a little bit away from that. But when I was writing this story, there was kind of an element that was driving it of the interconnectedness between, you know, there's there's kind of like, I, I wouldn't even say there, there's, con or, um, intermingling revenge plots, but there's sort of like cause and effect revenge plots going on. Yeah. And so the, the in a way, it was a little bit plot driven, but the characters, the characterization definitely had to be there as well, because if you didn't believe what was driving these characters' desires for revenge, it wasn't going to work either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the kind of following the thread, if you will, of the, the brooch and Helena, mm -hmm. um, was kind of the driving force behind me getting from point A to point B. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I thought it was really clever how you had a character who uh, had a past history that gave her an in with getting deeper into this mystery, uh, but also a very valid and believable reason why she had kind of left that career behind uh, to, to end up in a career that actually put her in that place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm going to say this, and then it's going to completely negate the fact that I said that this first-person character is totally not me, but <laughs> but it, those careers did totally come from... I, of all things, uh, I do find, like, when when writing about... Maybe it's more like a corporate thing, and I, I, I've worked in, in corporate, in the corporate world, and I've worked in mental health counseling, which is what this character's background was, mm -hmm. um, and it's almost like when I try to write similar, like when I try to write other corporate or other like sort of society, mental health, um, social, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like um, social services. Right. Uh, I, I always end up kind of pigeonholing myself back into what I know so well because um, 
yeah, I, I do get kind of caught up in the write what you know thing when it comes to to work stuff. It just seems like if I'm going to paint the picture, I might as well just paint the one I know and and lived many a days. No, I think that's totally valid. And, and not only does that help people listening to the story that may have gone down similar, similar paths or find themselves in the similar careers, identify more with it. But I think it's, it's also interesting for, you know, any of us that have not been in those fields or, or down those career paths to kind of get what feels like genuine insight into how that works. And, and I think that makes it more believable in the process. You can always the adage of write what you know, I think, is is very valid for that reason, because it comes across more genuine than, you know, something that you know nothing about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the research helps. We can always do research, and, and, and I think we right. can be believable there. But those little tiny pieces that you can just kind of tell, okay, this author knows what she's talking about, uh, makes the story, I guess, more relatable and... Um, Whenever the, the monsters show up and the weird things start to happen, you're grounded in a reality that's important to m- make that feel scary and believable. Yes, definitely. So what is it exactly that attracts you to writing horror and speculative fiction? Because I know everybody that writes horror and speculative fiction gets that in kind of a weird way sometimes. Like, well, what makes you want to write horror? But I'm asking it more because I'm truly curious because it's something that I enjoy as well. Yeah, I I think that, you know, it kind of sounds a little cliche because I, I do think this is one of the things that brings so many of us to the horror genre. But I, I do think it helps to sort through the daily sort of the daily small horrors and like the hopefully not as uh, common larger horrors of life. Um, like I, I do get the question a lot because I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty cheerful person and I, you know, you, I guess from, if you met me and talked with me for 25 minutes, you would probably not think that I would write some of the things that I write or that I would read some of the things that I read and I also love horror films they're pretty much all I watch when I'm watching movies or television um but yeah I think just having the catharsis of writing out I I definitely write what scares me um there's there's absolutely sort of these very definable and easy easily followed trajectories of my work where like you know I'm I'm in recovery for substance abuse and some of the earliest stuff that I wrote was sort of exploring every possible aspect of like addiction and recovery and you know the the positives and negatives of both of those things was just coming out of pretty much every story that I wrote um and then, you know, I, I got engaged and I had a lot of like marriage horror stories and like, <laughs> you know, feminist horror stories. Yeah. Um, and then I always get the question all the time now because I'm, you know, I've been married for a couple of years. When are you having children? So now every story that I write is like a pregnancy or a body horror story. <laughs> it's like pretty on point with, I mean, there's definitely like some, some wiggle room where I, I do write a lot of stuff that I'm just interested in. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely 
I loved journaling when I was younger and I don't do it as much anymore. And it's definitely because in a way the prose writing has just sort of become an extension of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's totally valid. It's, it's, it's one of my beliefs too, that, you know, the, the most well-adjusted people that I know are horror writers. And and I think (laughs) that it's because we get all of that junk out and, you know, you, you deal with it kind of through the subconscious you're bringing that subconscious forth so you know we we're using things that represent the things that we're afraid of and uh telling stories in a way that subconsciously i mean i think that's where all your characters come from and 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 everything it's all the stuff that you process and it comes out and when you have a character that just seems to come to life and move on their own it's it's working through all those issues so yeah, I mean, I think that especially with the way that things are in the world now, it's it's more important than ever to explore situations that are terrifying, but yet as the writer and the reader, we have control over it. Um, as the writer, obviously, you have control over the story and how it comes out. And as the reader, you can close the book and walk yeah. away and come back later whenever you're ready to deal with it. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, and unfortunately, that's not... That's not the state of the world these days. So I think it's it's definitely important to have that outlet and that ability to uh, take what we see in the world and, and put it into our stories and deal with it in a way that maybe makes someone think and, and also helps people deal with and feel better at the end of it because there's a resolution. Yes, absolutely. So- not... Not uh, very unlike re- the real world. You you don't get the resolution of the final page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you mentioned that you you like to read a lot, and and obviously, I think that that's a huge part of being a writer is you have to take in information to put it out. Um, what is a, a book or a story you've read that's changed the way that you look at the world and, and the way that you see yourself and your place in it? Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, well, and it's a tough question, and I'll admit that pretty much everything we read affects us in some way. So I guess I'm I'm thinking of like one that pops into your mind that you can think of that um, had an impact on you, or maybe made you want to be a writer, or or any of that stuff. Yeah, so that's when you asked me that, I actually had like three things pop into my head simultaneously. <laughs> and they, I, I was kind of hesitant to, to say them right away because I was like, well, I don't know if those have really affected me as a person, but they, they definitely affected like my connection to reading and writing and my desire to want to be a writer. You know, I mentioned earlier, I, I had always written, I'd always journaled and I'd sort of like, very casually been like this is the first you know 75 pages of a novel and it was like terrible and I wasn't taking it super seriously and and then I, I did read um so in the most cliched answer possible but Stephen King's on writing did sort of like click in my brain and just sort of get me to ask that question like why did I never consider writing more seriously before like why did I this has always been there for me and it's always been something that I've really enjoyed doing. Why have you never seen it as something that you can like really pursue? And as soon as I asked myself that question, the answer was like, there's no reason why, but why not not waste any more time? Yeah. Um, 
And then since then, um, Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, just for a short story that I, I kind of had in my head, like, to be a writer, you have to write novels. And when I read The Lottery, I was like, you know what? Short stories are freaking rad, and I love short <laughs> stories. And this short story did something that I didn't even know you could do. And that sort of just, I went full throttle. Like, I, I finished that story. It sounds so lame, but it's the honest to God truth. I finished that story. I had not read it before. I had never read it in high school, never read it until just a couple years ago. And I finished that story and walked up the stairs in the apartment that I was currently living in to the little office I had up there. And I sat down and I wrote like my very first short story. Um, and then just like could not stop writing short stories after that. And I, and I absolutely love short stories and I love the form of short stories. And yeah, just kind of really drove home the point that you do not have to just always be working on a novel to be writing cool stuff. That's great. No, I, I think those are two great, great uh, pieces to, to refer to. I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way about on writing. It's it's a, it's something that, um, honestly, I had avoided reading Stephen King for, for a long period of time, not for fear that, you know, his stuff was going to be too scary, but just because I always felt, you know, everybody talks so much about Stephen King. It's that overhype thing. Um and when I read on writing, I was like, why have I been avoiding reading his work? I, I need to just read this guy because he knows what he's talking about. And for me, that was a big push, you know, for my own writing to kind of get back into it and realize that it's something that I've always done throughout the years, but I've never taken it seriously. Um, and, and I should. And short stories. Yeah, I love short stories. Obviously, that's kind of the, the format of the show. Mm -hmm. And... I've always kind of, I think that as writers, sometimes we have this idea and it's probably because of popular media and, and what the general super, not, not superstition, but the general stereotype of, of writers is, is that you're working on the great American novel, right? And right. I love short stories and, and I, I love short stories that are interconnected. So, you know, collections of short stories that kind of cross over with each other in a certain way, but aren't necessarily structured in a novel format. Uh, or something that that really appealed to me as well. So, yeah, there's there's a, a a lot of great stuff that comes into a short story, and I think they can be just as challenging um, and just as rewarding as as a novel. Because um, that's what the thing I was always trying to push myself to finish this book I'd been working on, and I'm like, these are actually a series of interconnected stories. It's not the big novel, but yeah, there's there's a lot of fun in writing those stories. Yes, absolutely. You also mentioned that you enjoy uh, horror movies and, and, and watching scary things. So what does a good story and or a good movie have to do to scare you? Oh, well, my friends joke with me that they're going to like stage a home invasion to scare me because like nothing scares <laughs> me these days. And they're like, if we just really make you in fear of your, you know, losing your life or limb, then maybe you'll be scared. Um yeah, and that's kind of maybe that's weird, but I that I enjoy horror films and books so much, and they don't scare me. Although I think what it is is I'm always searching for that thing that will scare me. Um, so what a, a couple things have scared me in like the last five years? Um, let's see. Strangely, the uh, autopsy of Jane Doe. Did you see that one? I have not. Ah, well, so. 
a lot of people complained that the end kind of devolved a bit and it was a bit cliche. I certainly am not going to spoil it for anyone because I loved it and thought it was fabulous. But there is one part in it. I think I can say this without giving anything away again because it is called The Autopsy of Jane Doe. So it takes place in a morgue and they, the, they do the old trick of tying a bell around the corpse's foot. Because obviously, if they're dead, the, you know the bell shouldn't ring. It's just like a superstition. Nobody ever expects to hear the bell ring. Um, but I will leave you to imagine the type of scene that might occur in the movie where the bell does ring. Yeah. And I, I went outside not long after that to take my dog out to go to the bathroom, and I watched the movie around Christmas time, and I still don't know what it was, but one of my neighbors must have had like a sleigh bell or something on their house and like as I'm waiting for my dog to go to the bathroom I hear a bell and like the wind made it sound like it was right behind me and I was like oh well I'm going to die by some corpse with a bell around their foot and I was like good job autopsy of Jane Doe you've managed to scare me for the first time in I don't know how long that's tremendous uh, but yeah I stuff that doesn't, I don't really get scared but yes there's certainly a lot of things out there great people great people writing great stuff that unnerved me mm-hmm. um one of the things i just finished reading it's, it's not horror but recursion by blake crouch okay just finished reading that yesterday and the there is an element of horror to that in the sort of world devolving and and potentially coming to an end and just really great writing that really captures the suspense and the horror and the immediacy of the situation. I I wouldn't say that I was scared, but the book gave me goosebumps. So I was also like, well done, Mr. Crouch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I don't think it always has to be terrifying. I think that just being unnerved, uncomfortable, that slow build of dread is is sometimes uh, just as enjoyable as, you know, the, the, the big scares. Yes, absolutely, for sure. Sometimes that's that's all you get out of uh, a, a movie or a book, and it's it's maybe more enjoyable than the one jump scare that actually did get you. Yeah, I mean, I, I have um, I can't remember who who coined the term to me, and, and maybe they didn't coin the term. Maybe they borrowed it from somebody, but uh, I remember someone telling me that it's called the writer's curse. Whenever you you know start to be serious about your writing and plotting and developing stories and understanding and paying attention to how other people structure their stories that it sometimes becomes difficult to get scared by things or to be totally immersed in things because you kind of know what's coming. You're like, well, I bet what's good. What I would do here is this. And a lot of times you're correct. You know, it's, I'm always delighted when somebody does something that I'm taken aback by and I'm surprised and I'm like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Yes, absolutely. And I, that's perfectly said because I think that's why that recursion book that I just finished worked so well to unnerve me and to sort of shake me up and give me goosebumps and get me sort of like, I I felt like I was watching a film with how vivid everything was, but I think it was the structure and I didn't see anything coming and was completely just sort of taking it in as, as he hit me with it. Um, so yeah, I, I, there's, I don't know that there's too many people that could figure out his tricks. I'm a big fan of that author. I've read two of his books now and I'm there. That's excellent. 
So when you decided that you wanted to get back into writing and become more serious about it, did you find that you started to develop certain routines or rituals to kind of get you into the the right set of minds to, to, to write and to be immersed in your writing? Yes. Um, I, I've sort of been trying to be a little bit easy on myself lately because I have a routine that I really like to keep and feel that I do the best with, which is writing for two hours if I can string them together in the morning, first thing in the morning. Uh And it's just been a very, I don't want to say it's not like a difficult year, but it's just a a difficult year in terms of schedule. Like I've had a lot just going on and a lot of weddings and babies being born. I have a lot of (laughs) nephews now, birthday parties and traveling. And um, I started a, a MFA program and I just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm not going, I'm using more energy to be annoyed with myself for not getting my two hours of writing in this morning than I would to just write whenever I can, however I can. Yeah. Um, so I feel like in the last year, I've really abandoned my structure. And for a while, that was really unsettling for me because I'm a pretty structured person. Yeah. Uh, but I've gotten better with just going with the flow and writing, you know, 15 minutes on my lunch break, an hour when I get home, 10 minutes in the waiting room of somewhere. Uh, so, I've, yeah, I mean, I would still like to get back to having a really structured daily schedule. Um, but I think it's it's a good thing, too, to be able to go with the flow. Of course, you can't always see what life is going to throw at you. So better to be adaptable and flexible. Yeah, and, and that's a great point because I think that a lot of time is is spent in frustration when we don't give ourselves permission to adapt to things. You know, we have to um, do things a certain way, and I think that a lot of time gets spent in just like, well, if only I had to, could do this first, then I have to do this, and that it, it just takes less time and less effort to just sit down and actually write um, and giving yourself a window of time to actually make something happen uh, is very helpful. I find for myself, you know, if I say, okay, well, I don't feel like writing today, but I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write for 30 minutes anyway. And then if I can make myself write for 30 minutes, three hours later, I'm, I'm you know, finishing up something. So yeah, a lot yes. of times it's just that little kick, that little push to get you started. So, yeah, that's, I've been doing that to myself too. Like, uh, you know, I, I got to be somewhere in an hour. Well, that's not enough time because I got to get ready. And, and then I, you know, get ready and be like, you know what? I could probably get an entire page written in 10 minutes. So why don't I just sit, you know, it's not the ideal time carved out where I'm like, you know, in right. comfy clothes with a cup <laughs> of tea next to me and, you know, the dog laying in the bed in my office with me. Like I was dressed to go to a wedding shower and had sunglasses perched top my head, ready to jump in the car. And I was like, no, I, I have 10 minutes. I'm going to sit and I'm going to write a page. And I, I did. And then, you know, because I had gotten that little bit done, it was easier to come home later that evening and be like, oh, yeah, like I, I started that one page. Now I'm going to write the next two or three, you know, because I'm there and I did a little bit of work. And it's it's easier to do that than to get let these big chunks of time where you're not writing at all 
kind of wipe you out and kill your motivation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because if you're gonna if you're gonna wait for that perfect situation like you were describing, then you know you find that two weeks goes by and you haven't written a word, um, yeah. and, and that's bad for a writer <laughs> to not yes. write. Um. So one of the things that I'm always curious about, because when we write, obviously we change as time goes on, not only because of our own experiences, but because of the practice of writing what we read. What advice would you give to yourself five years ago that would have helped you then? Oh. I actually know the, I, I, I have an answer to this. I was going to say this is a tough one too, but I do have an answer to this question. I would say, and this is something that a piece of advice that Stephen King gives in on writing and for me to have not even taken it from him. Uh, I'm going to say that I would have given this advice to my younger self, but I think I was so excited to be writing and so gung-ho about finishing projects and submitting things. I don't know that I would have taken this advice, but the advice is that when you finish something, to walk away from it for a while yeah, and you know let it sit and work on something else and come back to it in I think what Stephen King says in on writing is six weeks at least for like a novel length project mm-hmm. um, and I was so terrible at that like I would finish something and I'd be like alright well I'm gonna re- return to this tomorrow I'd, I'd give myself like a couple days of just and, and not that I would finish it and think it was just automatically wonderful but I would finish it and then edit it again and then finish it and then you know rewrite parts and then finish it and then edit it again and then do a proofread and then send it right out yeah and now I am so much better about like I've been sitting on a couple stories that are finished for months yeah and gone back to them and it's just so much easier to see I mean the, the big picture problems and just the little line stuff like the again I'm gonna use a, a Stephen King thing but like I I can look at a piece when I first finish it and think there are no darlings to be killed in this like there are no extra descriptions and no you know useless metaphors like I like every one of these words and none of them are frivolous and then I go back to it six weeks later and I'm like this whole paragraph doesn't need to you know it's much easier to cut things yeah. when you've taken the time to, to not think about it and, and be immersed in it um but i was so stubborn about that before oh yeah it's real easy to you're so close to it when you first write it you miss all the the things that are wrong um and and i think you're still in love with it you know it's that's that honeymoon phase where you're just like this is beautiful and we're in love me and my story right right Uh, you know and and two three weeks later a month later you can look at it and go okay i still love you but we need a few there's a few things we need to work on here Yes, absolutely. Yes. I even had, you know, some stuff published in like e-signs and, you know, some of my earlier publications where I read them now. And, and I certainly, I, I don't think they're bad. I, I love them for what they were in the moment, but yeah. it's just so much. Like, I'm like, I, I can't even believe. And I think I had a story, um, had something to do with like mental health and narcissism and I like included definitions from the DSM manual and I was like good lord that isn't ham-fisted at all like you couldn't have found a a better more artful way to do that (laughs) 
but at the time I was like oh clearly this has to be here because this people have to know exactly what the definition of this mental illness is right no, it's 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 definitely fun to to see how we evolve as writers, and you know, I it, it's I think at first it's it's very difficult to get past that where you look back at something that you did three years ago and go, oh my god, I can't believe that I did this, this, and this. Um, but, but as time goes on, I think too you become more accepting of the fact. Okay, I'm getting better, I'm growing, I'm I'm experiencing more things, and I can see where the good of this is. I wouldn't write it the same way today, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and and in that same vein, the be- the best decision I ever made, and I'm so glad that I made this decision. For for whatever reason, I didn't do that with the first novel that I wrote. So I wrote a novel about five years ago now, and I I I did do the thing where I like you know stuck my hands in there and was like I'm gonna edit you four times until you're exactly what I want you to be, and then I did start querying and like sending it off to small publishers and I got an offer from a small publisher to publish the novel and it must have been like wisdom of my future self like you know if that had been a short story I had no problem anytime somebody accepted a short story I was like yes this is what I wanted for whatever reason I just took a step back and was like do you think this is the best thing that you could have written for a first novel that you're going to put out there? I said, you know what, maybe I won't do this. And I didn't do it. And I'm so happy that I, I didn't. Um, (laughs) And the funny thing is, is that like, you know, I just said, I can go back and look at an old short story and, and kind of almost cringe and, and wish that I had maybe not published it. Um, But I actually went back and looked at this novel not that long ago. And it, it certainly still has the things that I know could be better. And there certainly are, you know, it's too long. And there, there are tons of problems that I can see easy ways to fix. But the actual novel is very much salvageable and, and worth doing something with at some point, I think. So in a way, it almost seems like it was meant to be to, to have learned. I guess I did know what I should be doing deep down in that. Right. Uh, it could have better consequences long term. So at some point in the future, I would like to look at that novel again. Yeah. Well, I I, I know before we started uh, recording today, we had uh, you know a little little discussion, and, and you mentioned that uh, the the main storyteller for today's uh, well not today's but for the story that came out as this airs the prior week um, was Heather Thomas, and she has worked on some stuff for you before, so. Uh, did you have a favorite part of the the portrayal of the story, or? I just I just think she's great. I just think, uh, and I'm I just had my um, so I have a short story collection published by Unnerving, mm-hmm. and I sure I tortured. I, I recently put it out um, on Audible, and I worked with an audiobook narrator for months, and. I pretty much tortured her and had her like <laughs> redo portions of it and yeah. it nothing and, and nothing against my audiobook narrator whatsoever. I, I'm sure part of it too is just like she gave me the opportunity to do that. Right. Uh, so I jumped on it full throttle. Um, but I mean, I don't, there's nothing for both of the stories that Heather has narrated for me. I, 
I kind of almost forget that I'm listening to my own story and I just go away with her and her voice. So yeah, she's great. Yeah. That's, I think that's the best part of, of hearing something that you've written come to life whenever you can forget that it's your story and, and get immersed in it. Um, and, and she does definitely a, a great job with that. Yes. And of course, you know, we, we had a custom score written for your, for your piece by Nico. He does kind of all my music for me these days. And I think he does a great job of just, you know, kind of immerse, helping with that immersion, you know, and, and the biggest compliment I give him sometimes is, you know, I, I sometimes forget that the music's there because it, yes. you, know, you, you get pulled into it. Uh, there's yeah. times where you want it to be front and center and where you want it to transition and, you know, kind of lead you down a different path. But uh, whenever you can get immersed enough in a story where all the trappings kind of fall away and you're just there with the voice and, and the story itself, it's it's a lot of fun. Yes, I'm excited for people to hear this one for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm really, really thrilled that, uh, you know, that you shared the story with us and, and that you enjoyed the, the final result. Absolutely. I've, I've mentioned also earlier before we started officially chatting that I've been a fan of the Wicked Library for a long time. I've listened to all of Jessica McHugh's stories on here, Gwendolyn Keist. I've, there's been a lot of my favorite authors that have been publishing with you that oh. I've been, you know, just sort of thrilled to have this a similar experience. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to discover so many other writers through the through the show. That's always our, our main goal is to, to help listeners find authors that they may not have found otherwise. Yes. So speaking of authors and, and people finding work, where can listeners find more of your work? I have a website. It is uh, com. And I have links to everything on there. My short story collection, which is Something Borrowed, Something Blood-Soaked, published by Unnerving, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I have you know, plenty of stuff on there that's free, e-zines. And then I have links to anthologies and upcoming anthologies that I'm going to be a part of. Um, so yeah, mo- mostly everything's on the website. And it also has links to my social media pages. I am on Facebook and Twitter and all that good stuff. Excellent. Well, mild, mildly good stuff. I try to not be on there as much as possible, <laughs> but also be on there because the stuff I like it for, which yeah. is the connections to other writers, is the great part about it. But the like vapid time suck that is social media gets to me a little bit. Yeah, and and it's it seems to be a um, I don't want to I don't know it's a dumpster fire at times these days. It's just uh, yes. it can be it, it's just emotionally draining, and and it's it's you got to wade through that to get to the good stuff. Um, yeah. You know, following the right people and muting the right people helps a lot. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's totally definitely great. it's it's definitely a, a mixed blessing at times. Uh, but yeah, yes. it is a great way for for interactions. That's what I like about it too. Is you know the the direct access that fans get to you and you know th- that you get to people that you admire as well. Yeah, I, I mean, just to drive the previous point home, I the first time I ever heard of the Wicked Library was. A Facebook post, you know, it caught my eye. The green coloring, I was like, ooh, what's this? And <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So uh, anything that you have that's coming out soon or that came out recently that readers can look for? Yes. So I have a story in an anthology that's being debuted at Necronomicon in Providence next month. 
Oh, nice. Um, yeah, the anthology is with Muzzleland Press. It's called Behold the Undead of Dracula, Lurid Tales of Gothic Cinematic Horror, which if you didn't think that was a mouthful enough, <laughs> my story in the anthology is called Cleaver Castle of Carnage Presents The Coven Strikes Back. So I think between the story and the anthology, that's like the longest shit ever. <laughs> um, and well, then well I'm, you and I'm Gwendolyn Keister are going to get along just fine because Gwendolyn yeah. <laughs> likes her long titles too. It's something I tease her about on occasion. Yes. Um, and then I, I have another anthology coming out that I don't think I can say anything about yet, but I'll be sure to put it on my website for October. And then um, I have an anthology in 2020 with uh, Strange House Press. Um, so that's also on my website. So it's a little far out. So I won't mention that. But the Undead of Dracula for Necronomicon is, is a big one that I'm excited for. We just had the cover reveal this past week. And it's gorgeous and suitably gothic and suitably cinematic. That's fantastic. Something to look yeah. forward to. Um, yeah. So what's the best way for fans to reach out you to you and interact if somebody heard today's story and they'd like to reach out to you and share their thoughts what's the best way to do that facebook messenger twitter uh, direct message just tweet at me um i'm i'm perfectly fine with any of that and i do have a contact button on my website as well and it just shoots right over to my email so that's that's also an option all right. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you taking so much time. I know that you're you're heading out of the country tomorrow, so we had to kind of squeeze this in real quick. So I, I thank you. I know what it's like to prepare for a big trip like that. So I thank you for taking the time to, to sit down and chat with us. This, I'm sure, will be by far the most pleasant part of my evening. I now have to go <laughs> dive into a em- completely empty suitcase because I haven't started packing. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it and have a safe trip. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.